This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Mercado and Manning, rather infrequent, TV podcast. Welcome back, Andrew Mercado. Why is it infrequent? We just forget. We get busy, I think. Well, there's so much. We're busy watching TV or writing about it and um, yeah. just time flies by. But I, what I do know, this will be our last regular chat before we do our year in review in maybe a couple of weeks. Yeah, right. Okay. So there's so we will be busy uh, between now and then. So well, let's get stuck into today's. The first thing I wanted to bring up with you, in your column in Media Week today, um, the day we're recording this, you yep. talk about summer programming already seems to have sunk in. Um, there's still a week and a bit of survey left, but... Do you have the feeling that, like, we're already in the land of repeats and dodgy shows that otherwise wouldn't be on air? Yeah, totally. And what got my attention the other night was I saw an ad on Channel 7, uh, Tuesday night, 8.30pm, The Rock with Sean Connery. And I was like, okay, well, that's nice timing for Sean Connery who died a couple of weeks ago, but The Rock in prime time on a Tuesday night. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're in summer programming already. And then I realised that, there was literally nothing new on free-to-air TV anymore. They've just kind of basically stopped for the year. And I get it. It's been a tough year and we know they have trouble all year trying to keep franchises going at 7.30. But to me it seems crazy that um, come the start of November they start banging on about 2021. I mean, there's this promo on Channel 10 that starts with MasterChef. MasterChef in 2021, I'm thinking... That's July. That's like seven months away. Stop telling us what you're doing in seven months. What about what are you doing this summer? <laughs> yeah, it is weird, isn't it, seeing lots of promos for shows that are coming up. I, I guess the um, this program's coming on 10, though. Some of them will be starting in the first week of January, which yeah. scarily isn't that far away. Well, we know that 10 say that they only do, they're, they're doing 50 weeks a year. They say they're competitive, which is something that nine and uh, seven won't commit to. Um, so, yeah, Channel 10 will have I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here and all of that. But, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Today uh, or yesterday the ABC sent out a press release about what they're doing for summer and Christmas. And that's the type of messages we should be getting here. Once upon a time, the networks never banged on about the new year until the new year. You know, you'd watch that New Year's Eve telecast on nine because that's when they show you the promos for what was coming up. But now, because all the networks make these presentations for their upfronts at the end of October and November, they put it on air straight away. So you get weeks and weeks and weeks of them banging on with the promos about what's coming on in 2021. And my point is, hey, you guys, your finger isn't on the pulse. While you all go take a summer holiday and play this ridiculous game of a summer non-ratings period, Netflix and Stan and Amazon Prime and Binge are going to whip your ass with new programming all summer and Christmas. It was interesting. There was a, um, you mentioned Stan then. They're really going to go hammer and tongs on what they call their Stan Originals. Yeah. I think which which won't be all Australian content because they buy the Australian rights to a show now and they, they're starting to call that a Stan Original as well. Right. Fair enough, I guess. But 
they're um, at a nine investor day just um, this week that they talked about. I think they've got about 61 uh, series or programs now they call Stan Originals. They're aiming to increase that to 150 wow. over the next four years. So I'd be certainly buying up or commissioning quite a lot of content. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that Stan has always, uh, haven't they always done Boxing Day and New Year's Day and um, stuff like that. I don't know if they've got any big Aussie dramas uh, on those days this year, but I have seen the trailer just seems to have dropped today for Dom and Adrian 2020, which is the new special from the Bondi Hipsters, right. sending coronavirus it's a one-off on stan and it drops on december 13 and i'm a massive fan of those guys so i'm very excited about that yeah they've got um there's a john edwards drama that he's making called stan um, oh yeah that's right i think it's called bump right um i don't they've announced it's coming but i it's just recently finished filming i'm not sure if they'd be able to turn it around quick enough for a christmas or new year but if they don't i guess it'll still be early into um, 2021. Yeah. Um, Let's face it, their plans would have been uh, ruined this year by coronavirus. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Which is probably why you, you've gone a little bit hard, perhaps on the free-to-air broadcasters, but, you know. Well, yeah, I know, and I, I take that into account. But the, the, my point is, I know it's been a tough year and this probably isn't the year to demand that they do it, but free-to-air TV at some point has to get in the game. They can't just take two months of the year off and sit back and twiddle their thumbs when you've got all these streaming services. I mean, let's have a look at what happened here in 2020 during lockdown. Free-to-air TV didn't even go up in Melbourne. It stayed the same. The streaming services have all gone up. The streaming services have all been booming this year. But free-to-air TV, even with people locked in their houses, it's not as if free-to-air TV figures seem to be rising that much. So, you know, if they want to stay relevant and keep staying in this game, they have to offer more than sport at summer and Christmas because, you know, they're just just getting left behind all the time. And I have been saying this for a long, long time that, you know, we should be a little bit more in the game over the summer period. And, you know, I guess everybody needs a holiday. But you've got all these streaming services now that are playing the competition game Really, really hard now. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about a bunch of uh, programs on Netflix, including Queen's Gambit, The Crown, um, I've Been Loving a Suitable Boy. Um, you're going to talk to me a little bit about Auntie Donna um, and the flight attendant. But first of all, I wanted to raise something with you that's been a bit of a controversy this week and you've been quite outspoken about it. Um, Pete Evans. Yeah. Um, should we ever see him on TV again? No, never. He's now uh, got proven links to uh, Holocaust denial sites. Um, and this is, you know, Nazi, being a Nazi or, or, or some, you know, posting Nazi symbols and pretending that you don't know what a neo-Nazi is and you have to Google it. I mean, give me a break. Um, you know, Nazis uh, imagery and stuff like that is right up there with blackface now. There's no apology for it. If you want to align yourself and do any of those things still in 2020, then yes, you deserve to get cancelled. And Pete Evans has been pumping out dangerous 
um, stuff about sunscreen and anti-vax and 5G and all these loony things that really should have made him less attractive uh, to free-to-air TV. But he's finally gone too far with the Nazi stuff. So that's great. That means that all of his so-called public health messaging, and now he's saying coronavirus isn't real and we can't, people don't spread it from people to people. The poor guy's had some sort of breakdown, if you ask me, and uh, no, and uh, he, he cannot be on free-to-wear TV anymore with views like that. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm with you on... Um those comments are just or, or, or linking yourself with those sort of um, ideas is a um, is just not on, but but I think people are forgiving, and if he so, showed some sort of look, I, I have no idea whether he would or not, but if he shows some contrition and um, yeah, I, I could see a, a way forward for him because he's he's quite good talent on TV. Um, Absolutely, and you know I've. I, it does appear to me that he could be unwell. Mm. Um, I very much, I felt uncomfortable watching that 60 Minutes interview with him earlier this year. I, I can't, it kind of felt to me that he wasn't terribly well. So, I mean, yes, there is a way to come back from this, but that means that he has to be very, very clear in his apology. An apology is not saying, I don't know what a neo-Nazi is. I had to look it up on Google. And I'm sorry if you took offence at that, but that wasn't what it was about. It's like, dude, don't beat around the bush here. He's, he's been linking to Holocaust denial sites since June. So, you know, he'd better come clean about he, what he really believes in and apologise uh, to people about Nazi Germany if he wants to make a comeback on mainstream media, which, by the way, he's blaming for his implosion, which is all his own fault. Yeah, and it's not as if he's young enough he can claim or... I, I don't know much about uh, Hitler's Germany. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's one of the things you notice. It's not really discussed much these days. There's not a lot of reference to it. So you can understand young people not really being aware of how atrocious it was, but I don't think he's got that excuse, has he? No, he does not. He does not. Okay. The um, we, I want to cover off briefly, too, some of the stuff that was um, on display at the SBS upfront this week. But... Before we do that, there's a, there's a show you want to find some time to watch that it's, I think, have had two episodes so far. Yeah, I'm actually making a list as we talk, James, because there's so many shows that I'm going, oh, my God, I've got to watch that. And Addicted Australia, look, I watched um, some of the first episode and, but I really want to go back and watch it because um, a couple of people have spoken to me about it and said, wow, that show, it's just so brave of the people who are kind of laying their lives bare about their addictions. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Blackfella films and especially their, uh, their reality formats like this, you know, whether it be First Contact or... Um, so I'm very much uh, need to find time on SBS On Demand and watch all of Addicted Australia, yes. Yeah, 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 I'm with you on that one. Yeah, look, they um, a massive um, announcement from SBS. They... Gee, they, they don't seem to have a lot of money, but, gee, they manage to make it go a long way. Um, yeah, they always do, don't they? Yeah, look, one of the biggest commissions I've ever heard of, 200 episodes of The Cook-Up with Adam Lau. I mean, that's an amazing. It's going to be um, shown Monday to Fridays on SBS Food, and that'll virtually run for the whole year. Brilliant. 
brilliant. He's a he's a great guy. I think he's he's a he's a great TV host. He's very entertaining. If you um, follow him on Twitter, he's got a great sense of humour. That's a, a good commission. Yeah. The other thing was, I think there was uh, was it five major dramas are coming. Um, I think one of them was supposed, at least one of them was supposed to screen this year, which was New Gold Mountain. Yeah. Uh, four by one hour set in the Bendigo goldfields uh, back in 1855. That didn't happen this year because of COVID. A couple of other things are copying it black. That's from uh, Bunya Productions, the people behind Mystery Road. So that, that promises to be a cracker. Again, it's a, about a detective um, uh, who investigates a suspicious car accident. Uh, Iggy and Ace is another one. Um, two young gay alcoholics who live, work and play together. Yeah, that looks hilarious. <laughs> um, the Tailings uh, is another one. I don't know much about that one. Um, that's, well, that's a short form, so it's uh, six by ten minutes. Yep. Which means that they'll be able to kind of air it as a one-hour show like they did with Robbie Hood. You know, Robbie Hood was kind of like six little ten-minute things that you could watch as like kind of little YouTube pieces but put it together and it was this wonderful one-hour story. Yeah, and the last one of those that's is um, the Unusual Suspects, a four-by-one-hour drama with uh, Miranda Otto is in the cast there. Yeah. Looks good. Yeah. There's, uh, as usual, SBS have, have managed to uncover a, a fair bit of international uh, drama. Some of the returning shows, Vikings, uh, back again. Gee whiz, uh, season six of that one. I don't think I've watched season five yet, so I've, I've got to catch up there. Handmaid's Tale, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is, um, it's amazing they can still keep that because it's, it's such a popular show. You know, kids love that show, James. That's one of the, the shows that, you know, teenager kids, uh, when they do discover free-to-air TV, Brooklyn 999 is one of those shows they watch big time. Sure. Lots of Aussie uh, docos, including one with uh, Michael Mosley, the sort of British doctor who's sort of just seen, he must just be filming every week of the year, that guy. He, has, <laughs> he makes so much uh, in the UK. Now he's making some things uh, particularly for Australia. Yeah. Um, the Bowerville Murders, which uh, should be interesting. Um, uh, what else is on the doco list? Uh, Lost for Words. Uh, what Does Australia Think About? Um, it's going to be a uh, Who Do You Think You Are? Series 12. Gee whiz, that's been going a long time. Um, yeah. Uncle Jack Charles is going to be one of the guests on that, so that would be a fascinating episode. You know, I just uh, listened to uh, Jack Charles' uh, book as an audio book where he told his own story. It's fantastic. And, yeah. you, know, he'd, you know, he kind of ended up in an orphanage. Uh, he was taken off his mother and put into an orphanage. And, yeah, uh, tracing his family history is going to be fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And here's one you might be able to recommend for Pete Evans, The Rise of the Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> Three by one hours. A clever Kevin McLeod is back. He's the guy from um, Grand Designs. Um, uh, his this series is called Rough Guide to the Future. Three by one hour um, programs. They uh, always do very well with railway programs. 
yeah. like all the architecture, the railways built, uh, which have, um, Troubles of a Lifetime is a Michael Palin special. I think he's um, patches together some highlights from some of his great uh, former series like uh, Pole to Pole, Around the World in 80 Days, Full Circle and Sahara. And right. um, he, he uh, recalls some of his journeys and uh, talks about the uh, thing. Uh, they're promising a Eurovision song, cost for, song contest for 2021, but they'll really need to get on top of the <laughs> coronavirus because it's a bit out of control in Europe again at the moment. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Mastermind will be back. So, look, there's, there's lots to watch on uh, SBS in 2021. Yeah, fantastic. Now let's talk about the Queen's Gambit a little bit. Gee whiz, what a brilliant show this is. This has turned out to be. It's just I haven't heard a bad word about this. Everybody, most people say, look, once they start it, they can't stop. Seven episodes, I managed to knock them off fairly quickly. And, wow, what an amazing performance from Anya Taylor-Joy, the, um, the, the young American chess player who uh, takes on the world. I love this show because it just seemed to come out of nowhere. And I thought it was it had a terrible title, and I went, "What's this about?" And it's about chess, chess, and I thought, "Yuck! I don't want to watch that." <laughs> but then, if I like you, everyone was talking about it, and I went, "I'll just watch five minutes." And of course, after five minutes, you can't switch it off, can you? Yeah. So I haven't finished watching it yet, but yeah, I just love it because it came across to me as like really fresh and original. I'd never seen any story like that or any kind of plot line like that. So I've, I have found it one of the great surprises of 2020. I wonder if it's one of Netflix's secrets. They, I mean, there's a couple of exceptions like The Crown, of course, but they don't overhype some of their, their content. It just sort oh. of pops up on the platform and word of mouth takes over, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. Um, so yeah, Anya Taylor-Joy plays the, the chess champ. Um, she she's done a fair bit of stuff. Uh, she was the she's the title role of Emma, uh, a, a movie this year of the Jane Austen book, yeah. which I watched pretty recently. But I watched it before the Queen's Gambit, so of course now I want to go back and watch <laughs> it, watch it again, so I can really maybe enjoy her performance a little bit more. Yeah, right. Amazing. She's so good in it. Amazing. And yeah. and then the group of sort of male chess players that sort of help her in her quest to defeat the sort of Russian chess champ. Well, what an interesting bunch of characters there. The standout is perhaps uh, Thomas Brooks Sangster, who looks familiar and it took me a while to work it out, but he actually played Sam in Love Actually nearly 20 years ago when oh, he was a young boy. Uh, good call there. What, the little boy that yeah. fell in love with the older girl at school? Oh, wow. <laughs> So, well, cool. Yeah, that, he, he's really good. He plays such a cool sort of chess champ. You know, he wears a, a Stetson and, you know, he's, um, yeah, it's just really good. I think it's, it's hard to imagine anybody would be unhappy with that. Yeah, totally. Another show I've knocked off on, um, on Netflix was A Suitable Boy, uh, an adaption of the uh, Vic Graham Seth novel from 1993. Now, it was a massive big book. Massive then, they, up, they condensed it down. I think it was just a handful. Was it four episodes, I think? 
I uh, when I saw this on the list today, I was like, "That's that massive book," and I didn't realise it's a BBC production that's been made this year, but it's gone on Netflix. I will absolutely be watching that. Oh yeah, you'll love it. It's actually six episodes, so it's uh, yeah, it's- it was um, adapted for um, the screen by Andrew Davies, who's a lot of done a lot of great work uh, at the BBC, and directed by Mira Nair. Yeah. Um, He's also done some interesting work. So it's got an amazing cast. But, yeah, it's just, a, uh, it's just a, such a feel-good movie and um, just, just wonderful, wonderful uh, six apps you can spend there. Wow, I can't wait to see that. Now, I'm not sure if we talked about The Undoing much last podcast, but I don't think it had started. You might have seen one episode maybe when we last spoke. I think I'd watched one and a half episodes or something. I'm fascinated by, you know, people in Sydney. They're they're built on the side of a building there at King's Cross. They've got artists that keep uh, painting painting first of all it was nicole kidman from the undoing mm. and then they painted over it now they're painting hugh grant and nicole kidman so they're taking the uh imagery from the undoing but painting it onto the side of a building but it's only up for 24 hours and they paint it over and start again yeah it's a clever marketing ploy by the people at binge um who, who seem to be promoting foxtel shows more than foxtel is yeah, yeah, right. That interestingly, um, they when they do their promotion, they don't say, "Oh, this is also available on Foxtel." <laughs> they, they're just really pushing beans, which I can guess you can understand because they're, yeah. they're yeah. really trying to build that um, brand. And then we've both talked before what what good value it is starting at ten dollars for all that content. Yeah, from all those channels, but it's 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 detracted quite a lot of negative media. The Undoing, which sort of surprised me. I mean, I'm I think there's only been, as we record this, I think there's only, there's been four episodes that went to air. Yeah. Um, I loved the first two. The third was okay, but I started to think I'd worked it out. I know what happens. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure, but I will certainly be staying with it because if for nothing else, I want to see if I was, you know, being too smart-ass early on to think I knew it. But, uh, uh, I, I don't have a problem with it. I'm quite liking it. Look, I just found it pretty, uh, I, I was disappointed by it because when I just said about the Queen's Gambit, how fresh and original that felt, mm. and I felt the complete opposite when I watched The Undoing. I just thought, I've seen all this before. Yeah. A real super rich family and a murder mystery and the father's got lots of money and I just kind of, I just had trouble caring for the characters because they felt so familiar to me and that that genre is so overdone at the moment, a bit overcooked. Yeah, I'm completely with you on that. It's really oversaturated, that sort of rich white people with angst and, you know, uh, murdering their mistresses. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Have you started The Crown yet? Yes, I've watched six episodes of The Crown and I don't, I don't want to binge it all in one sitting because I want to kind of... I've, so I've been watching one episode a day to kind of absorb it all. Um, and I've, I kind of was... I was watching it late the other night so I was kind of falling a bit asleep during the episode set in Australia and I've got... So I'm going to go back and watch episode six again and really look at it. But, you know, it, it was interesting because... Um, when it got to Brisbane 
and, or when it got to this place, I'm like, okay, so what place is this meant to be? Because it's not filmed here in Australia. It's filmed in Spain. Mm. And so, you know, there they were on tour. I'm like, oh, what city is this meant to be? And then it came up, you know, oh, now we're in Brisbane. I was like, oh, my God, this is nothing like Brisbane. I was there in Brisbane when Di and Charles came down. It was the Queen Street Mall. I went out in my lunch hour and they walked down the Queen Street Mall and then they went up to King George Square and they came out on the balcony and waved at it. But, look, that's a minor quibble aside, you know. I, I know that they don't have to get every single location looking exactly like it. I am enjoying The Crown. I'm hearing a lot of criticism about The Crown. People are saying that they're, they're not sticking to the history and they're fictionalising it and uh, that this is the, the series that I've heard more criticism about for The Crown. Every, every other time people watch it and go, it's amazing. This time people are going, oh, I'm not too sure about Gillian Anderson as Margaret Thatcher and, you know. I also think the Charles and Die stuff, James, is very triggering for people because now we're getting into recent history that we feel we all lived through and we know what happened Mm. And now this TV show is coming along, putting words into the mouth, and some people are going, oh, no, 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 I don't want to believe that Lady Di had her hair, head in the toilet vomiting from bulimia. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's an incredible cast, which I just want to talk about some of them in a second. But, yeah, some of the, what happens, it, there can be only some scenes, only one person who knows what really happened. Yeah. In other scenes, two people only really know what was happened and what was said between them. So you've got to take a little bit of poetic licence, I guess, when you yeah. cover these events. Absolutely. I think you have to. And we've known that since the very start of The Crown. But, you know, when the show started in the 50s with a young Princess Elizabeth, I mean, back then what we were fed about the royal family was very scripted newsreels. So, you know, they were able to kind of, invent a fiction around the history then because we weren't as familiar with it. Whereas now we're getting to the Charles and Di years, you know, we were reading we were reading fictionalised versions of their life in Woman's Day and New Idea for years and years and years. So why are we now worried that the Crown may be taking a bit of licence as well? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, um, Gee, it seems to be unfair to pick out people from a, such an amazing cast. They've done such a good job. At, but as preparation, I'm sort of four episodes in, but on Saturday night before it dropped on the Sunday, I watched the last episode of season three. Yeah. Back in the mood. And, oh, no, Helena Bottom Carter, blimey. I mean, how good is she? That was the Roddy Llewellyn episode. Oh, yeah, right. Where she goes to um, mustique with him. Yes. And, oh, that, that is just class. She is so good and she's also in season four, thankfully, but she's just a standout for me amongst a, an amazing cast. And, look, Gillian Anderson's brilliant as Thatcher. Um, I really love Josh O'Connor. It's his second season playing Charles and he was a favourite of mine back in the Durrells, a, a, a program I really enjoyed. Yeah. And I think Erin um, Doherty is probably overlooked a little bit as Princess Anne. She, you know, she's, she's doing a very good job and, and I'm really warming to Princess Anne in this story going, yes, you know, you're, she's absolutely right. She could never, never put a foot right with the press. And then, of course, Diana comes in and it becomes all about Diana and, oh, Princess Anne's the grumpy one. I thought that was really well played, that scene with her telling her mother about that. 
Yeah, yeah. And she's a bit of a newcomer too, Erin Doherty. I think she was um, in a few episodes of Call the Midwife, but I haven't really seen her in much else. What are your feelings about Emma Corrin's Diana? Gee, that it looks like she was treated so badly, Diana, but... And Emma Corrin sort of done a pretty good job of capturing that, although... The, 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 gee, I'm get, I, can you hear that we're getting a message about poor internet connection halfway through this? But um, Oh, I, I can still hear you okay. Okay, we'll persevere on. All right. <laughs> the, um, yeah, but she, the character does seem a little bit weak at times, but I guess maybe that's accurately what Diana was like. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't think the act- actress is tall enough um, but uh, I guess you, you've got to, you can't cast on height. Yeah. Um, and yes, it is very much a portrayal of, uh, you know, we don't see a lot of strong Princess Di. We're seeing a, a very kind of beaten up, given up Di in this version. I've, what I think is really interesting about those episodes with her, though, is I find it really interesting that Netflix put a warning at the start of the episode warning that there's going to be scenes of bulimia coming up um, and warning that this might be a trigger for people. That's the first time I've ever seen a warning like that about an eating disorder at the start of a show. Yes, yes. Um, Something else, it's also on Netflix, Auntie Donna. Yeah, big old house. It seems to be doing really well for them. Yeah. So I watched a couple of episodes when it started and, then last night I had a friend over and I said, do you want to watch something funny? And I just put it on and just, you know, studied the reaction on her face as the show opened. And eventually she turned to me and said, what the hell is this? And I went, it's this crazy new Australian sketch comedy show. Just stick with it. It's, it's really out there. It's mental. Yeah, it's certainly not for everybody, is it? And I think a lot of people will just won't get it at all and go, Bruh. yeah, off. But I love it because I think it upholds a great Australian uh, surrealist comedy tradition all the way back to Auntie Jack and Norman Gunston where you just take comedy to such an extreme level that the, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it, it seems very much to me inspired by those really crazy days of the 70s in a way for me. Yeah, and as our friend David Knox would say, he calls it absurdist, I think, which, yes. you know, yeah. it's, just, yeah, it's just a little bit loopy for, and it with, doesn't have to have a reason, you know, it's just... Um, it's just and a, hilarious that they're using all of these Australian references in there and Australian brand names like 4 and 20 Pies. And, you know, the, the international audience on Netflix won't get any of that, but the show is so crazy, what does it matter? To them, they would just think, oh, what's this mad thing they're talking about? What's a 4 and 20? What's a pie? I just think it's really crazy. Yeah. Now, something's coming up. You, you've also written about uh, this week in Media Week is uh, The Flight Attendant. Tell us a bit about that. So this is a show that's made for HBO Max uh, and it's going to start next week on Binge and I think it's going to be on Fox One. It's, it's certainly not a showcase show. Um, but it's Kelly Cuoco from The Big Bang Theory. This is uh, her big uh, show and she obviously plays a flight attendant, but, whoa, she is just, you know, drinking up a storm on her overnight stays and sleeping with randoms. And, of course, it all goes 
horribly wrong for her in Bangkok. And James, they actually film on location in Bangkok, Thailand. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, look, it's it's kind of it's it plays a bit like a black comedy. Yeah. Um, and it is. It's, it's very interesting and I like it, but it's also really stressful because she's such a hot mess. You're just kind of slapping yourself on the brow all the time, like going, no, girl, don't do that. Oh, God, here we go again. Don't take that drink. And off she goes and she ends up drunk again. So it's, it's stressful in some ways, but I'm in now. I'm going to have to watch the end of it. Yeah, I mean, I was starting to laugh when you talked about it and I'm thinking, well, should I be laughing? It's, it's maybe not a comedy. Well, it's certainly a black comedy in some sense, particularly in a sense where she starts to hallucinate mm. and having conversations with herself. I mean, that's very much kind of played for a bit of comedy there. But, you know, it seems to me like the, the, the dark side of it, which is her issues around alcohol, and they, um, there's a scene in it at the start where she flashes back to being a little girl and her father gives her a can of beer. Um, and says, here you go, drink this. So uh, I think that they're going to go a little bit more into the reasons as to why she's such a heavy drinker. And it may not be pretty, but I think it will put in context a lot of uh, her behaviour. Yes, yes. Now, you've also, out of the HBO sort of studios, I guess, is you've been watching some um, docos. Yeah, look... HBO docos are just out of control, good at the moment. And one of the things now that uh, they've got binge, they're all uh, turning up on binge. So I really enjoyed Class Action Park about that theme park in New Jersey where the kids could do whatever they wanted. But there was also a chance he might die on one of those extremely unsafe rides. That was a great doco. And then uh, there was one last week I watched called Crazy Not Insane, which is about one of the psychologists who interviewed serial killers on death row and went in there to find out are people born evil or does society and parenting and uh, things like that create serial killers. Very interesting. And then this week I watched uh, the first episode of um, the... Uh, Atlanta murdered and missing, Atlanta's missing and murdered the lost children. And now this is something that came up in the second season of Mindhunter, where all of these black boys were being murdered in a very short time span in Atlanta and they uh, get a killer and uh, they they arrest him and, and put him in jail. But this new HBO documentary says that when that happened, the Atlanta Police Department closed down all the cases and said, oh, case solved. But that the parents of those children went, hang on a second, there were 30 kids murdered in a very short time frame. Could that have guy really done, it, done, it, done them all? Or were, are there other forces at work here, like maybe the Ku Klux Klan and white supremacists that were using this opportunity to knock off a few more kids. So the Atlanta Police Department has since reopened the case. They have apologised and this documentary is going into that further. So uh, if you like true crime, that'll be one for you. Yeah, and that's on Foxtel. I don't think the docos are on binge. I think it's just the dramas, if I'm not mistaken. Well, no, class, I think what happens is the docker, a lot of them seem to start, some of them seem to start on binge first and then make their way to one of the Foxtel channels. Oh, okay. Um, but all those docos are all on binge at the moment. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, that's good. Listen, the, um, we talked a little bit about the summer breaks before, but 
The ABC seems to be the only one that seems to be celebrating Christmas with all their stars, with sort of year-end specials. I've noticed them doing this for the past few years, but this year they really seem to have uh, stepped it up. And to me, I think they're, they're, they've decided they're in the game and they're not just going to do repeats. So they're doing special Christmas specials of Bluey, of Hard Quiz, Sean McAuliffe's Mad as Hell, The Weekly, which, of course, then we get The Yearly on New Year's Eve. They've got Spicks and Specs specials. Like, they're using all of their most popular shows and recording Christmas-themed episodes to air in December. Well done, ABC. That's what I want to see more of. Yeah, yeah, no, and those those, those things will do very well in the ratings. I mean, those those regular shows are up there. I know what um, Hard Quiz, for example, is always up amongst the most watched shows of the week. Yeah. Um, I'm sure the Christmas special will be huge. Look, um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about Apple TV+. Plus. Yeah, which I've um, gotten access to recently. Oh, have you? Good work. Yeah, yeah. So um, I've been holding off because there, I thought, oh, look, I'll get on one day and I'll start watching all these shows that I've missed out on. The um, I'm really enjoying Long Way Up. That's the uh, the motorcycle show with Charlie and uh, Ewan McGregor. Yes. They, they ride off. They've previously, uh, they the big one was... Um, was it Long Way Across? I think they rode from um, the UK through to, um, was it China? They went right across Europe, uh, across sort of northern Europe and in through Mongolia into China. Um, yep. This one they ride from the bottom of South America all the way up to Los Angeles. And it's just brilliant. They're, they're such a good... Uh, and they, they do this, by the way, on electric motorbikes. Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> uh-huh. challenge of charging these bloody things at the, uh, at the end of every day. Yeah, wow. How interesting. Yeah, so it's, it's really amazing. It's fantastic. There's a great sort of the first episode takes you through how they developed a, a, a bike that would um, last the journey um, and they've all, and their support cars are electric as well. So how they develop those? Yeah, it's it's really a fascinating little bit of TV. I'm watching. There's a comedy called Ted Lasso with um, Jason. Is it Jason Sudeikis? Sudeikis? I can't. I'm not sure how to pronounce his surname. But yep. um, it's about an an American football coach brought into the UK to look after one of their the UK soccer teams. Okay. Yeah, it's um, it's a little bit sort of awkward, but that's one of its charms. It's um, but it it, it does sort of grow on you, so th- that's worth uh, checking out. There's another. There's a comedy called Trying, which is about a a young couple trying to start a family. Yes. Now I've always wanted to watch that because that was the first British show commissioned for Apple TV. Right. Okay. As Rafe Spall as the dad. Yeah, now he was the guy in the Salisbury Poisonings. Correct. He was the main sort of um, police inspector there. Yeah. So, but that, yeah, that really James, Sorry, trying. I have been trying to watch Trying all <laughs> I'll put it back on my list and see how I go. Yeah, yeah, so it's good. But I've, I've been reading a bit about some people are saying Apple is just slowly gaining momentum and that some people are saying this, they could be the new HBO. I wonder. Of course, you've got 
did, did you not, have you not watched Morning Wars with Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon yet? Yeah, um, it's okay. I mean, I thought I'd be mad crazy for it, but I watched two episodes and I just haven't got around to watching the rest. No, I think you've got to stick with it. I, th- I think it'll click in for you, particularly because you love the media and it's a show about the media. Yes, yeah. You've got to go back to it. And, of course, you've got visible the history of American gay TV, which is also fascinating. Okay. Yeah. And the one on my list, what I need to watch there is On the Rocks, which is the new Bill Murray movie as directed by Sophia Coppola. So, you know, that partnership that they got through uh, doing Lost in Translation, they're back now, On the Rocks, a, a one-off movie on Apple TV. Yeah, they've got some great movies. They've got that a Tom Cruise, a Tom Cruise, Tom... Um well, what's his name? The, the Greyhound. It's Greyhound. It's called oh, Tom, Tom Hanks. Hanks. Yeah. yeah. Tom Hanks. Well, it's, a, it's a war movie, but it's really interesting. It's, it's very well done. Um, but I haven't watched all of any of these because there's so many. I've just been dabbling in and out of different things. There's yeah. so much there on Apple TV to sort of get into. And yeah. it's, it's all sort of quality stuff too. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, they, they do a lot of uh, uh, kind of serious stuff too. You know, they've got a few doctors documentaries and stuff like that on Apple TV. I think they've got some Oprah specials. Is Oprah yeah. doing stuff with that? Yeah, Oprah's got a series of specials. Yeah, there's yeah, that's quite a quite a deep uh, catalogue they're developing there. And see there's they've just uh, they're about to release the second series of Servant, which is uh, the M Night Shyamalan uh, TV series that he made. And it's about a young couple with a baby. And that's one that I started watching and lost track of, but it's pretty creepy, Jamie, James. <laughs> it's called Servant. Watch that first episode and okay. you might have to add that to your list as well. Well, I'll have to watch it in the daytime. I'm not good at horror when it's dark. <laughs> yes. I'm very nervous. Yeah. Um, we're just about to wrap it up. Any viewing um, things we should watch out for we haven't mentioned so far? There's two things I want to highlight. One is last night on uh, Foxtel. I watched a movie I've been trying to see for ages. It's called Motherless Brooklyn and it's written and directed and starring Ed Norton, Edward Norton, who's an actor I just love. And the fact that he wrote and directed this movie and it's got the most amazing cast in it, uh, Bruce Willis, Alec Baldwin. Um, It's set in Brooklyn um, back in the day. He's kind of like a private eye. Um, It's, you know, it's not hugely original, but Edward Norton brings lovely, brings such heart and soul to the project. So Motherless Brooklyn I recommend. And also this is the craziest thing I've seen yet as a result of coronavirus in TV. We know that soaps like The Bold and the Beautiful said that they were going for the kissing scenes, the intimate scene, that they would use the actor's partner would come in and that you could kiss the back of your partner's head for the close-up or they were going to have mannequins for the close-ups. Would you believe, James, they've written one of these mannequins into the story? So there's a mannequin that that looks exactly like Hope and Thomas has got this mannequin in his uh, house where he's designing for Forrester Fashions and he's having this psychotic breakdown and the mannequin is talking to him. Like, I never predicted we'd have a talking mannequin on The Bold and the Beautiful in 2020, but there you go. But. <laughs> so, but it, it does play the part of a mannequin. They don't pass it off as a, 
No, it's a mannequin, yeah. um, and Thomas is the only one that can hear it talking to him. And he, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just using it as, you know, as a muse to for my designs. But it's like, no, 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 you're obsessed with hope in real life, and you've got a mannequin of her in your lounge room. What's happening? <laughs> oh, no, it sounds good. It sounds good. All right, Andrew. Look, thank you for that. Look, we'll get together again in maybe a fortnight's time. And we'll go through our end of the year list. But in the meantime, there's plenty there for um, in this episode for people to investigate. We'll speak to you soon. You betcha. Have a great week, James.